Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Summer's almost over. It's like cooler today. It's only like 99. So praise God for that. We actually have some rain in the forecast. So that's good. It bring, it's like there's hope. <laughs> there's hope. Summer's almost over. We're ready for some fall weather. Amen. Um, I just want to open up with, with this today. We rarely understand God fully. I mean, we never will, but we rarely understand or comprehend just what he's done in our lives until we look back at our lives. And we kind of take inventory of all that he's brought us through. And when you look back at that, you truly see all that he's redeemed. Because let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't just redeem us from, from, from hell and into heaven. He redeems everything about our lives. Everything about our lives. He changes our destinies. He changes our legacy. He changes everything. When you give your life to Christ, everything changes. A lot of times we come into our faith and we think we're just getting, let's put this in our modern terms, we think we're just getting a software upgrade. But God doesn't give us a software upgrade. He gives us a whole new system. He gives us a whole new system. He puts in the new hardware. He puts in the new drives. He puts everything new in us so that the new hard, the software can run properly. Everything changes when you give your life to Jesus. And today I want to talk to you about how to share that message with people. Because a lot of believers, if you're a believer here today, because there may be some of you that are believers, there may be some of you in here today that aren't really sure if you want to be a believer. And there may be people in here that you just, you don't even know why you're here. You're like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of this stuff. But I'm here and I'm curious. And I want to talk to every one of you today. Because us as believers, it's sometimes hard for us to share our faith. Because we kind of get stuck in this mode of sharing it the same way with every person we run into. But I'm telling you, there's people that you run into, they're not going to respond to your method. I don't know how many times I've talked to people and nothing. And then as a youth pastor, I'm just going to give you this. It makes you feel good about your ministry. Um, as a youth pastor, you'd pour into these kids for years and years and years like nothing. And then they go to another church, you see it on Facebook. I got baptized today. Jesus is so good. I'm like, what is going on? Why? They just respond to a different method. And people respond to different methods. And we have to get that in, our, in, our, in, our, in the way we operate, in the way we share Christ. What works with one person may not work with another. And so when we get into Acts chapter 17, which we're about to dive into, you see Paul changing his method up according to who he's talking to. And, and as believers, it's a good for us to, 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 rem to remember that, that, 
that the person in front of me is on a different path than I am. They have different background. They have different beliefs. They come from different places. And if I just spill everything I know about God on them, they're, they're probably going to be confused and not know what's going on. So Paul's going to, we're going to read Acts 17, and we're going to dive into how Paul truly reaches different people groups and how they respond. About the same, really, no matter where he's at, but his method changes. And so today I want to encourage you, if you've been trying to reach somebody, maybe there's a family member, maybe it's, maybe it's your own child, and you've been telling them about Jesus and you really want them to come to faith, I'm going, to, I'm going to encourage you that you might not be the person that can bring the method for them to understand and to, and to grasp it. It doesn't mean we don't do the work. It doesn't mean we don't pour into our kids and pour into those people. But it does mean that we're still planting a seed, we're still watering, and then somebody else may come in and give them a method that they understand because it was that way for me. For much of my life, I, I had a, a faith in God but I really didn't know God. I had a faith in Christ, but I really didn't know Christ. And I've been to lots of churches growing up. I've been to lots of things growing up, but my view of God never changed. My view of Christ never truly changed until I got a different method. I came actually into this church. The, the pastor preached way different than everybody I've ever got, you know, preached, learned from. The people loved me in a way that nobody else loved me. It was a way that I could respond to the gospel. And God is, loves you enough that he's going to bring you to a place to where you will be able to respond to his love because we all respond differently. And so as we read this together, we're going to kind of see that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read a little bit about Paul's second missionary journey as we travel through Acts together a little bit at a time. And our hope as we move through Acts is that we understand the Christian faith better that we understand what the first church really went through and what was really important to the first church. What was really important to the first church is, is not really what's important to the modern church. But the first church was built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, was built on the power of the Holy Spirit, was built on people giving everything, their own lives, to propagate this gospel so that people would hear that there was a risen Messiah. And they would go around and they would tell people, look, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. There were eyewitness accounts. They were witnessing the things of Jesus Christ to the nations and the gospel spread. And we're here today, if you're a believer, because of the work of these men and women that gave their life for the gospel. And so it's good to learn from them. It's good to move on because you know what? There's a whole wide world out there that needs to know about this Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we'll turn to Acts chapter 17. And we're going to walk with Paul into the city of Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas, like we talked about last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas split up. There's a big breakup in their band. Paul and Silas are now together, uh, and they are traveling throughout the, the Macedonian empire, and they're preaching the gospel. So Paul and Silas, when they traveled through the towns of Amphilios, let me get my notes up here so I can keep up with you all, and Apollonia, Apollonia, that's what it is, Apollonia, I don't know, I should ask you guys, and come to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, as was Paul's custom. He went to the synagogue service for the three Sabbaths. In a row, he used scriptures to reason with the people. 
So Paul would go out and he would just go into the synagogues because he was a, he was, that's what he knew. He was, a, he was a Jewish Pharisee for most of his life. He was going to give the gospel to the Jews because they would understand who the Messiah was. They would understand this, this Jesus a little better. So he would go to where you would find these people that respond. So he goes to the synagogue and he preaches about Jesus. And it says he goes there for three continuous weeks. And I want to focus on this word today. He reasoned with the people. I want to reason with you today. I'm not going to lose a ton of scripture, but I want to reason with you about Jesus Christ. Because like I said, there's people in here that believe. There's people in here that maybe want to believe. And there's people in here that don't even believe. And I want to talk to everyone, even if you're watching online, in this today. I want to reason with you. Let us reason together. And so he reasoned with them by this. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about, he is the Messiah. The the, the Jewish culture knew exactly what the Messiah was. They just didn't know who he was. And so some of the Jews who were listening were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. If you continue reading on, not everybody responded this way. Some people got mad and tried to kick them out of town. This was pretty normal for those guys. So he reasoned with them. How? He reasoned with them about the scriptures. These people in Thessalonica knew the scriptures. He walked in the Jewish synagogue. They knew that there was a Messiah. They just didn't know who the Messiah was. Paul says, I know the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. And I know he's the Messiah because he rose from the dead. I <laughs> He spoke to me on the Damascus Road. I know I have friends that have seen Jesus, all right? I know that he's, a, he's, he's risen. I know that he is the resurrected God and that he is, in fact, the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And so the people in Thessalonica, they knew God, but they didn't know God. They knew about the Messiah, but they didn't know the Messiah. And there's people in here today that know about God. They know up here in their thinker. They think about God a lot, but they don't know God and they're nowhere. There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between your mind and your heart. And, and a lot of people, there's this disconnect. You know about, because I was one of those. Like, I, I knew about God, but I didn't know God. There's a disconnect. And Paul walks in and he tells them, this is the person that you've been waiting. There's the disconnect. It's Jesus. And it connected to their heart, and they believed, and they came to faith. See, In their head, they knew it, but yet it had to permeate their heart. And for many of us, we came to faith that way. We knew God, but we just didn't know God. We didn't, it never permeated our heart. And when it permeated our heart, it took root and it sprouted. And our lives have been changed ever since. So such with Thessalonica. So they have good success there. And they go, and they go to this next town in Berea. Acts 17, verse 10. So that very night, after they were kicked out of Thessalonica by these other Jews, they went, that night the believers went, sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Again, same place, right? This is his his MO. He goes to the synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, and as did many prominent Greek women and men. 
But when some of the Jews in Thessalonica learned Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, the same guys that kicked him out of Thessalonica, they just followed him around. Sending, they, um, they stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and to join them. So I want to talk about these people in Berea a little bit. What can we learn about the Berean church? They were more open-minded. And if you look at the Berean church, in their heart, they believed that they wanted to believe, like, I want to believe in this Jesus, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's the truth or not. I'm not sure if I can trust what you're saying, Paul. This sounds really good. Like, help me understand. And so they searched it out. Many people search it out. And I want to tell you today, it's okay to search it out because God there's a lot of people deconstructing their faith right now. You heard this, you know, deconstruction. They're deconstructing. They're really not just deconstructing their faith. They're deconstructing their religion. And, and, and they're deconstructing, but what do you do when you get to Jesus? What are you going to do with that? you got to do something with Jesus. And that's what Paul's coming at here. He's like, guys, Jesus is the real deal. Search it out. And they're like, this sounds good, Paul. I'm going to search it out. So they dig in the scriptures. They look at the prophecies and go, oh, this prophecy is about Jesus. Oh, everything. Jesus was there in the beginning, in Genesis. Jesus was there in the prophets. Jesus was there in all these things. This is truly the Messiah. We understand this. Yes, Paul, we're going to agree with you. We're going to come to faith. Jesus is who he says he is. I haven't seen him raised to death, but you said you saw him raised to life. So Jesus must be who he says he is. We believe the Bereans searched it out. And I want to tell you today, it's okay to search it out. Don't give up on your faith because you're bumping into a couple hard things, especially when you start reading scripture. When you read some of the biblical accounts in Genesis, there's some things that are hard to understand. And when you get to Leviticus and all those crazy things, you're like, I don't know. Am I, do I need to check my threads and make sure I'm not wearing two different threads? You know, it's like, what, what do we do with all that? Search it out. Find the context. Understand what's going on in Scripture, guys. We can never, never dig too far. This book is a collection of manuscripts. And the beauty of the Bible is a child can read it and understand. We have children's church over there. They'll come teach you something when they're done. But a child can read it and understand. But the complexity of it is this, that theologians drown in it every day. You can never get to the bottom of it. There's so much more in it. And the more you learn, the more it opens up, and the more it fascinates you about who God is. I'm discovering stuff about God even now, and it's just blowing my mind, but it gives me a greater appreciation of the Holy One, the one that's set apart. So never stop digging. Be like the Bereans. Search it out. Their heart responded with this message, yes, Paul, but my head needs to make sure. It needed some good soil to grow. Like what they, want, what they responded with, Paul, you're telling me this, but I need a good soil. And that's what searching out does. It, it tills up the soil of our minds so things can grow, our faith can grow. A lot of our faith, what you believe, is this, renewing the mind. It's renewing the mind. It's always learning more. It's always coming 
becoming more like Christ Jesus through renewing of our mind. Everything else is great. This thing right here, this needs to change. That's what our faith, that's what it means to walk out the faith. They know God, but they don't truly know him. So here we get to Athens. And I'm going to spend a lot of time in Athens. That's why I kind of just skimmed over these two. So in Athens, Paul arrives, and I want to read the story of Athens. While Paul was waiting for Timothy and his good friend to come back in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And so he went to the city, he went to the synagogue, to here's that word again, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So the mode for these, these apostles is they would go to the Jewish synagogue, they would teach about Jesus, they would tell them, hey, all the stuff you're learning, I want to tell you what it's about. And then they would go to the city squares and the places where people would meet, and they would tell people about Jesus. And so Paul's in Athens, and Athens is known for a lot of things. It's a Greek city. It's, it's a city where, like, modern philosophy was born right back then. Uh, all the Stoics, all the Epicureans, all the philosophers would sit around this place called Mars Hill, and they would talk about the great things uh, in the world, and they would just exchange knowledge and exchange information. But also on Mars Hill, Mars Hill was a place of, of trial. Basically, they would come up and they would hold court on Mars Hill. And so we're going to talk about Mars Hill a little bit, but Paul goes into the city square. These Stoics and Epicureans, these philosophers, hear Paul talking and we, this story ensues the rest of the scripture passages. So they get, to, they get there in Athens. He spoke in the synagogue daily and all happened to be there. So he also had a debate with some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas he picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Okay, this is where they would meet at the, this Mars Hill, this rock. Come tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. We're seeking knowledge here. We want to know what is this weird stuff you're talking about, Paul? It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. This is like their Facebook, I guess, you know. They just kind of sat on this, on this rock and just like shared. So I want to talk up to you a little bit about the Stoics and a little bit about the Epicureans because we need to understand who Paul is talking to primarily so we can understand when he gets into this, um, this message to these people, we can understand why he's saying the things that he's saying and how he's bringing it out to them. So the Stoics, these were philosophers. These, you know, you hear the term Stoic, right? You're like, Okay, they were kind of stuffy, all right? They didn't believe, they, they believed that, I'm just going to read this from one author. The Stoics believe the chief good is a rational life. So they're all about rational life, all about reason. And the chief evil is death. Death is bad. The wise man will wish to die when he's weary of life, when he has lived his life and achieved his purposes, for there is no greater evil than death, nor any pain that can be compared with it. So death was like the worst thing that could ever happen to you for the Stoic. And, and they, they, they used all their logic, all of their reasoning 
to talk about virtue. I mean, they were very virtuous, and your body was evil inherently, and you didn't do anything to make it happy, okay? And that's kind of in a nutshell. The Epicureans, on the other hand, were kind of different. They were almost totally on the opposite side of the spectrum. The Epicureans were about living life to the fullest. Right? They were about people that just enjoyed life, and, and the chief meaning of life is to enjoy life, but you don't go after something that you can't attain because it's just going to make you miserable. So take what you can get and get what you can take and enjoy life. One writer wrote this, We must therefore not crave for anything that is absent, for we shall be less likely to miss it. So don't aim for anything because you're going to miss it. Nor should we set our hearts on anything, for how seldom can we win our desires? But in all things, let us beware of disappointing ourselves. The Epicureans live for pleasure. Like pleasure was a chief meaning in life. And it tied great into the Roman and Greek culture. And so it's not much like today's society. I mean, if you had to, if you had to put everybody in a, in a grouping, we're kind of like the Epicureans. We live for pleasure. Pleasure is the chief end of us. And so Paul is talking to these two groups and some other people there. And here's Paul's greatest sermon preached at Mars Hill. It starts on verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addresses them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you're religious in every way. For I was walking along and I saw your many shrines and idols and all these things that you've put up. There's, a temp there's, there's temples behind him. There, there's many shrines around him, very religious. The Greek society was very religious, the Greek gods. I mean, you probably learned this in school. And he goes, I was walking around and saw your many shrines, and on one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown god. This is his opening. He's saying, guys, I see you're religious. American church, Western society, I see you're spiritual. I've watched your shows. I've watched Stranger Things. You're very spiritual. You believe in the supernatural. And he says, look, I know the one God. I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. Western church, I'm going to tell you about this power, the true power. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about. He's the one. He is the God, the big G God, who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. He's, I could see him like pointing at all these temples and saying, you think your God lives in these? I mean, your God's that small. He has to, they have to live in these temples. He doesn't live in altars or temples made by human hands because they can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He doesn't need you, but he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So he's telling the Epicureans here, you want to be satisfied, guys? I know the one that can satisfy you. You want pleasure? I know the one that can truly give you pleasure, and that is God himself who created you. And in you, he, everything has life. I have some pictures. You know the James Webb telescope? It's kind of the big thing going on right now. They have beautiful images of our universe. And, you know, as we're singing these songs, I'm thinking about those images of the galaxies and the universe. And I'm like, it's so beautiful. And it just makes you have a greater awe of God. 
this creator God that put all these things into motion. There's got to be a creator here. There's got to be something bigger than ourselves. I remember watching uh, the NASA files when they were first put the images out. I can't remember who it was. Is one of the heads says it's kind of it's a very deeply spiritual move. You know, it's a deeply spiritual thing to look at these images. I don't know if he believed in Christ or not, but he says that it is spiritual. There's something about it that says, "Oh my gosh, we have a beginning. We we have a reason for being. There's got to be a reason for us being here." And so these these images are beautiful. I think we have some. Um, this is a, a nebula that was. On the old Hubble, it wasn't that pretty, but you see all the intricacies and the, and the beauty of it. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And then they have the before, like Hubble. You see these lights. You're not sure what they are. And then you see with, with the James Webb, you see a little more detail. All these gal- And this is just a little bitty part of our universe, right? And it's showing all these galaxies, all these things that seem to go on forever. Our God created that. Our God is infinite. And that's what he's telling these guys here. Our God is infinite. And then we have this photo. Do y'all know what this is? I don't know if y'all keep up with modern news and stuff. Um, This is the Chiriso galaxy. (laughs) It is actually a slice of Chiriso that some scientists tried to put off as an image from the James Webb telescope. (laughs) But thank God for Chiriso. Amen. Thank God for Treso. God gave us the ability to make Treso. So it is from him. But God created all these things. And that's what he's telling these people. He gives life. He gives breath to everything. The universe is spinning. The universe is moving. He gave it breath. He gave it life. Everything is through this God that you don't know. He says he's the supreme God. He's the one true God. Then he goes on, verse 26. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall, and he determined their boundaries. He's saying, Greeks, listen to me. You think that Prometheus and Athena gave life to you. You think that that the gods have nothing to do with us. You think that There's no reason for being, they're they're just here to toy with us. But he's saying, my supreme God, the one true God, gives you life. That he created all life through one man, Adam. And all the nations were put in place by him. It's for him and it's for a reason. He says, he determines when nations rise and when nations fall. He determines the outcome of this whole thing. You can put your trust in him. And then he goes on to verse 27. For his purpose was this. Why did he make the nations? Why did he send all these things? So that for the nations to seek after God and perhaps, I want to focus on this, feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. This word feel is to like grope, like a man having a hood over his head and he's looking around for something. Have you ever been, wake up at night and you're like looking around for things and you're groping around for something? You know it's there. You're just not sure exactly where it's at. And so Paul's telling these people in Greece, is like, you know there's a God there. You're just not sure exactly where he's at. And so you're groping around. You're using philosophy. You're using all these, uh, these uh, mytholo- mythological um, tales to, to try and find this creator God and this reason for being. He's saying, look, 
This is the one who created all. This is the one that you're groping for. This is the one you're looking for. I'm going to take the hood off and let you see him. I love this. Perhaps you can feel your way towards him and find them, though he is not far from any one of us. Man, that's comforting. We're trying to find something. Our world's trying to find something. And they're looking out into the universe to try and find it. They're trying to find purpose. They're trying to find reason. They're trying to define their beginning. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're looking out light years and light years and light years ahead. Or actually behind. (laughs) And they're trying to figure out why on earth are we here? Paul's saying, he's right here. All you got to do is look right in front of you. These images aren't God. These planets and universes aren't God. These things aren't God. They're created by him, and they're to show you the way to him. And then he says this. He uses their own philosophy against them. For in him we live and we move and we have our existence. Some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. He's saying, look, guys, we can't create this God. God's outside of us. Like In him we have our living. In him we move. In him we have our being. In him we are his offspring. It's not the other way around. He cannot be contained. In fact, he contains us. Think about that. So often we try to contain our God. We try to put him in our nice little box, right? We, we contain things. That's, it's called an idol, right? When we try to contain something and, and, put, and put all our hope and all our, all our belief and all of ourselves into something, we think that that's going to bring us what we need. So we're trying to contain our hope into something, into a container. God's not in a container. God cannot be contained, but he does contain us. He's grabbed a hold of us. And now he lives inside of us. He contains us. And then he hits these guys right where they live in verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So he's talking to all these brilliant people, right, that just talked about the greatest ideas and all these things. He's like, look, guys, you're ignorant. (laughs) He overlooked your ignorance because he wants you to find him. He wants you to come to him. And now he's telling you right now, he sent me to tell you this. Repent. Change your thinking. Change your mind. Change the way you do things. Come to him. Turn to him because there's going to be a day of judgment. And when that day of judgment comes, he's going to rule with justice. Scripture says that we cannot fool God. God cannot be mocked. He's a God of justice, and if he's a God of true love, then he has to be a God of true justice. If he truly loves and he's a good God and he's a holy God, he's not going to let anything go by. He's a God of justice. Justice will be served. In the end, God will make all things right, and he will judge accordingly. But for us, who are believers, we know the judge. 
And the judge vouches for us. It's through him that we are saved. It's through him that we come to faith. It's through him that we will not be judged. And he says this, I know this, and I know this is the guy that's going to judge the world. I know this is the man that, that, that's, that, that God has appointed to do this because of this. He was raised from the dead. I love the response. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Three responses to this. There's always three responses to the gospel. Flat-out rejection, that's ridiculous. Nobody's resurrected from the dead. People don't come back from the dead. If they do, they're zombies, right? And we... Nobody's raised from the dead. That's insane. That can't happen. They walk about. They don't accept it. And then there's people like these other ones like, this is fascinating. Help me search this out. I, I want, tell me more about this, Paul. I mean, I'm, I want to believe this, but I need to hear some more information. I need some more information. I need more knowledge so I can understand this better. And then those people that it just comes alive and they accept in that moment and they believe. And I'm telling you, so often we give up on those people that want to hear more. Because like, you just got to believe, brother. That's all you got to do is have some faith. But we have to take the time to explain things to them, even the hard things. Because they may ask you, man, I, why does this happen? Well, let's find it out together. Let's, search, let's be like the Bereans and search it out. Let's reason with people. Let's meet them where they're at. There's people that accept it. There's people that reject it. And there's people that are like, I just want to know more. So they're skeptics. They're skeptics. The thing is, it's getting it from here to here. And sometimes it's getting it from here to here. It depends on where you're at. Because there's people that are they're like all up here, and then eventually it gets to the heart. And there's people like me that are heart people, and then it eventually has to get to their head. They act before they think. And there's people that think before they act, or think and never act. And there's people that, like me, that act and then wish they would have thought, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's when both those things collide, man. That's when our faith becomes true. And that's when our faith becomes secure. That's when it takes root and it grows. Jesus tells this parable about how that grows in our life and takes root in our life and something grows beautifully out of it, but there's also people that will reject it. And he says, this is going to happen. The problem isn't the, the, the gospel. It's not the message. It's the soil. The soil is not ready to receive it. So Matthew chapter 13, he tells this parable about the sower or the soils. And so he's talking to these people and he says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. He scattered them across the field. Some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. This guy's not really a good farmer if he's just going to let you know. But anyway, he scattered them on the field. Some seeds fell on a footpath. The birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. These, these seeds sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop 
that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And he goes, anyone with ears should hear, but should listen and understand. What are you talking about, Jesus? Farming, plants, seeds, what does all this mean? And the disciples came like, Jesus, why are you always talking to parables, man? Just tell us the truth, plain. And Jesus says, you wouldn't understand it. I, I say these parables because only certain people will understand it. And so he gives them the explanation. Verse 18. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting the seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. They're like, resurrection? That's crazy. No way. The evil one comes and snatches the seed away that was planted in their hearts and never takes root in their heart. The seed, that rock, that, that, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. See those people like, they catch on fire and they burn out, right? Takes root, dies off. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have a problem or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. People that, man, I want to believe, but things are rough. God can't be real. It steals it. And then the seed that fell on the good soul represents those who truly hear and understand. It's like it's here and here, God's word, and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much that has been planted. Guys, the seed's not the problem. It's always the soil. It's always the soil. And, and we approach people, their soil's not ready. We approach people, and they're just not receiving it. So what do we do with that? We've got to let God work on the soil. doesn't mean we stop and we give up. We got to keep throwing seed. We got to keep planting. And I'm telling you, there's people in here. God's been throwing seed on you all your life, and it's never reached into your heart. It's never penetrated into your heart. Maybe while I was reading that, you're like, "Man, I'm the guy with the, I'm the weed guy. I'm the weed guy. Like I want to follow God, but every time something bad happens, I just fall off and I do my own thing and I." don't pray anymore. I don't read the Bible. I give up on church and then life gets really rough. And then 10 years later, I come back to church, give it a good go again. Then the weeds come up again and choke it all out. Maybe you're the person, man, you started strong. <laughs> like Jesus. Yeah. I'm going to go run. I'm going to take, I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. I'm going to do all the things. And then you just burn out. Like, what happened? You didn't have deep roots. It was all here and it never formed up here. And you fall away. I see this a lot. <laughs> we see this a lot. We're all excited about Jesus. Until we have to actually do something for Jesus, it's hard. Or until something comes up that challenges us. But there's people in here, and many of you in here. God pulled the weeds. God removed the rocks. God tilled up that soil. And when the seed fell, it sprouted and grew, and the roots grew deep, and you became the thing, the person that produced a good crop. 
The seed is always good. The problem's always with the soil. So who are you today? That's the question. I'm going to get Christian to come up. Let me reason with you. What's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus? What is it? What's that big block? For, for a lot of people, it's like, it's the simple questions that the Epicureans had the same question. And, and we haven't figured this out yet. Why do good things happen? I mean, why do, bad, yeah, why do good things happen to bad people? Why is that? But on the other hand, why does bad things happen to good people? Like, if, if there's a God, then why, are bad, why is there evil in the world? Same things they've been asking. And Paul's like, look, God sets it all up. There's going to be justice at the end. We're not God. We don't see the grand scheme. We don't know what God's doing on the underlying. But we have faith that God is going to make it all right in the end. What's your holdup? What's keeping you from coming? Don't give up like these other guys. Be like the Bereans. Be open-minded. Search it out. Get involved. Learn scripture. Figure out what's going on. I love people like Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell was a detective, and he, was, he never believed in Jesus. Never. He's like, this is so fake. This is not even real. I'm going to do my, I'm a detective. I know how to detect. So I'm going to detect if there's Jesus is real or not. And the more he dug, the deeper he got, the more he learned that Jesus was truly who he said he was. And he wrote this book called The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Because the, the deeper he dug, the more evidence he found that Jesus was truly who he said he was. And I want to tell you, dig, get involved. Keep coming, keep coming. Keep, keep showing up. Because I was one of those guys. I kept showing up, even though I was forced to. But I kept showing up, and eventually, eventually, the soil was prepared enough for that seed to take root. And my life has never been the same. Keep learning. Keep showing up. Get involved. Get in a life group. Come to men's group. Come to women's group. If you're a youth, get in a youth group. If you're a young adult, get in a young adult group. Get involved. Get around people that can help teach you and explore these things together. And this may sound harsh, but if you're one of the, the people like, resurrection, that's ridiculous. There's no way. Nothing I say, nothing I do is going to convince you otherwise. I'm going to pray that God starts breaking up the soil in your life. That you will receive it. Because only God can do that. Only God can reach you. It's not going to come through man. But here's the thing I want to warn you about. Those people, they make the most effective people in the kingdom. People like Josh McDowell. They become effective because God breaks down everything Every thought breaks it down and they believe in him fully. Or today, are you the guy or girl? I want to believe. I want to believe. I want to believe. I, I, want, I want to believe. Help me believe. We're going to help you with that. If I can get the prayer team to come up, we're going to do a, a couple things. But I want to give you this last passage before I close out. 
1 Corinthians 1.18. And this is for you, the doubters. The message of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. And the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers? This is St. Paul that wrote Corinthians. The St. Paul that stood on Mars Hill and argued with these philosophers. So you get to understand these passages better. Since God in his wisdom saw that it to the world, that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Jew Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plans of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. You got to stop limiting God. You got to stop thinking like God thinks like you. Because he doesn't. Christ is the power that you're looking for. Western church, America, the supernatural that you're seeking, those things, Christ is the power that you're looking for. Philosophers, intelligent people, God is the wisdom that you need. Christ is the wisdom that you need. Come to him and he will give you what you need.